Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Matthew Ott. Um, I've had was asked to uh, preach today on on a very uh, very difficult subject, uh, especially for us husbands or us that are about to be husbands. Um, and it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult thing to hear preach to you as a husband. Um, but if you can imagine how difficult it is to preach on this and then go home and also be required to, to practice these things. <laughs> so, um, anyways, as we have gone through this uh, small series, um, The Marriage and, and Family Matters, uh, we've learned a lot about God's design for marriage uh, as Christian as Christian leaders of our household and, and Christian families and, and what all those things mean. And the ultimate thing that that we should be focused on is how we're filled with the Spirit and, and what that does in our lives as, as Christian believers. And <clears throat> I want to tell you a little bit about recently what happened. And I have my wife's permission to share this. I'm not going to get into all the details. Um, however, one of the most difficult times in my marriage came recently. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting because I wasn't on guard. We're taught to be on guard because Satan is uh, roars around like, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, and we, are, we are called to be filled with the Spirit. And some of those times in my life, I get so caught up in in the hustle and bustle in life, and I'm focused on what I need and uh, less about what others need and less about what God's calling me to do. And so, basically, Pastor Matt asked me to preach uh, on husband's high call, uh, God's high call for husbands. And I ended up finding myself at his house and telling him, I'm not sure I'm the guy for this. <laughs> and uh, he's such a wonderful leader, and he says, you know, maybe you're just the guy. And uh, that said something to me. And so I poured over the scripture, and I must say that it's been one of the most fruitful times of our marriage since that. <clears throat> So as we go through this study, I pray that each of you uh, takes a little bit of something from this. So we're going to talk today about Ephesians 5:25 through 33. And it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, excuse me, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm sure you can all understand why this is difficult. <laughs> so as we, uh, as we look at Ephesians 5.25, this is some really clear instruction. It probably couldn't be more clear uh, for husbands in the household. Um, and it says, husbands, love your wives. How? Well, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what does that actually mean? What does this love mean? Um, I'm not Greek. I've said this before. I don't speak Greek. I'm going to try to say some Greek words, and uh, I hope that they they come out um, pronounced the way that they're supposed to. 
But there's four, ac- four actual ways that uh, the Greek language is used in the Bible. Um, and <clears throat> each one of them has a specific uh, meaning. And it's just this beautiful way of being able to separate the word love. And unfortunately, um, <clears throat> since we speak English and we don't speak Greek, well, maybe some of you do, uh, the translation, it just gets moved to love. And so when we're reading this English word, we really don't know what that's actually saying. So <clears throat> he's using a specific word for love here, and I'm going to explain what those four different uh, ways love is uh, used in, in the Greek. So the first one is, is eros, and uh, this is actually a selfish love. This is a love of desire. This is a, a, an a, This is a a love of passion. Uh, This is actually where we get the word erotic. Um, And that's one form of love uh, used in the Greek language. And the the other is uh, storge. This one here is an instinctual love. This is a love that you will have for your parents. This is a love that is bound by blood. This is a love that you have for your kids. Like uh, first time I saw my children... I immediately love them, you know, and uh, it's it's just this wonderful uh, piece there. Uh, the next one is uh, philia, and this one is, I like how one of these commentator puts it. He says that it speaks of a, a brotherly friendship and affection. It is the love of a deep friendship and partnership. It might be described as the highest love of which man without God's help is capable of. It is a fondness or love driven by common interest and affection. So this is a friendship love. This is uh, this is actually uh, the the city of brotherly love is Philadelphia, um, and that's that's where they get that piece. But here Paul is really specific, and he uses this agape love, and I'm sure many of you know what that is, and it's attributed to God's love for us. And what does that actually mean? Well, that means that we are loved unconditionally. And that's how he's using it here. Husbands, love your wives. He's saying, love your wives unconditionally. It is, it is, uh, it is also assuming the eros and the filial love. It's making the assumption that those two are included in this love. It's important that we remember those things. But it is, a, a, again, it is a love that we choose to do for our wives. And it is a love that is without change. It is a love that is self-giving and does not demand or expect any repayment. It is a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives love and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. This love is unconditional. Unconditional. There aren't any conditions with this love. And that's what we're to do here is to love our wives in this way. And I'm going to spend a lot of time on love because that's just this clear instruction and it's very simple. Right, And we're going to talk about what love actually means. And Billy Graham has a, a, a great quote about this agape love. And it says, Agape love is a selfless love. The love God wants us to have isn't just an emotion, but is a conscience, conscious act of the will, a deliberate decision on our part to put others ahead of ourselves. This is the kind of love that God has for us. So I had said that before that uh, this love is so great it's for the unlovable or the unappealing. Does that mean that our wives are unappealing? Absolutely not. Don't ever think that. (laughs) That's a bad, bad deal there. This means that we as husbands have chosen to love our wives without expectation, without repayment, without end, without any conditions or borders, and most importantly, unconditionally. So how do we love then? How do we do this? The instructions are clear, but the application is the part 
that is the most difficult I find in my life. I can listen to a Pastor Matt or anyone else preaching the Word of God, understand what's being said, like, yeah, shake my head emphatically, praise God, thank you, Jesus, all of those things, and then go home and absolutely forget all of those things immediately. You know, with a little bit of pride in there and, uh, and not being on guard and being filled with the Spirit. And I must say that some of the times that are the most difficult for me to ward off the... Uh, the power of Satan are right after I am filled with the word of God. That's the part that Satan wants to attack the most. That's what he's going to attack in our marriages is that's where that separation of us from God and from being holy happens first is in our homes with our wives. I know we're going to talk a lot about husbands here, but this this love for others isn't just for your wives, it's for other people as well. And I want to say that if there's any of you here that are thinking about being married or on your way to be married or maybe someday will choose to have a wife, this is some good prerequisite for making the right choice with the right with the right teammate with the right partner with the right other half so again how do we love then well in Romans 5 8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us it's the sacrificial love Jesus himself has demonstrated a sacrificial love for all he died for all he died crucified on a cross, out of love for each of us. He chose to love first. This is not with a condition, it's without condition. That's how he chose. He didn't say we had to do these things and then I'm going to go hang on that tree. He says, no, I'm going to go hang on that tree and here's my demonstration of my love for you. Even today, his love is there. It's given freely and it's still rejected by many. What a sad thing. And thankfully, we have the gift of free will. We get to choose Jesus openly and without persecution in this great country. We are so blessed to live in this country and be able to openly choose this love for Jesus Christ and be able to proclaim that name, which is high among all, the highest name among all. The best day to choose this love for yourself was yesterday and the next best day is today. <clears throat> My prayer for you today is that you choose Jesus. Invite him into your heart today. I pray that you do this and if you don't know what this looks like, ask someone. Ask me after the sermon. You know, I hear a lot about this Jesus. I hear a lot about this love. But I feel unlovable. I don't feel like I deserve these things. And that might be true because we are undeserving. The only thing that we deserve as a fallen people is death. But we have this gift of everlasting life in Jesus and he has shown this love to us. And this is the same love that we're to have for our, for our wives. It is not out of performance or some sort of thing that we, <clears throat> some sort that we owe our wives love. We love first no matter what. It's a choice. Yesterday, I chose to love my wife. Today, I'm going to choose to love my wife. And if the good Lord allows it, then I wake up tomorrow, I'll do the same thing then. She is an object worth sacrificing for. To give everything would still fall short of the model that Jesus himself has given us. Well, why is this? Why is this model? If I give everything to love my wife and sacrifice everything and practice self-denial in every moment and every, every instance of my life and every action that I'm doing, how does this fall short? Well, it's simply because Jesus died for us while we were undeserving. My wife actually deserves to be loved this way by me. <clears throat> we will never measure up 
to what Christ has done for us, but that does not mean that we don't pursue this perfection, knowing that we can never achieve it. This is this, this uh, becoming more like Christ each day. And how do we start that? Well, we start with love at the home, with our kids, with our wives especially. So in, and also in, in Romans 5, 7, we see this. We see this where it doesn't measure up. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a, for a good person one would dare to even die. And in John 3, 16, we, we see uh, God is love and chose to love us and he led by example. And he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for you, my friends, this is, this is what we have in Jesus. Death is not the end. Death is the start of what we are going to really be part of in, in God's glory forever. You know, this time on earth is just preparing us for this time of meeting Jesus. And it's short. It's short. There's, there's uh, many times, and I'm getting off track here, so I just want to preface that right now. But, <laughs> but there's these, uh, these times where I've heard folks joke about why put off, or why do today what you can put off for tomorrow? Something to that nature. And it's this, this, uh, this procrastination piece. And one of my favorite oxymorons is I have yet to begin to procrastinate. And so... That basically all I am saying here is that if we don't choose to act this way today, there is nothing promised for tomorrow, right? So what does this mean then? Well, this means that, that my wife, aside from Christ, is the most important one in my marriage at all times. At all times. Do I have needs? Sure. Do they matter compared to hers? Nope. They don't. <clears throat> One commentator states that we can read this passage and think that Paul is saying, husbands, be kind to your wives, or husband, be nice to your wives. There's no doubt that for many marriages this would be a huge improvement. But that isn't what Paul... <laughs> big improvement. But that, that isn't what Paul wrote about. What he really meant is husbands continually decide to practice self-denial for the sake of your wives. There are times that I must dig deep and remember God's love for me and choose to love first, a sacrifice of pride at times. And do I worship my pride or do I worship God? I'm a prideful man. And I don't even understand how that um, gets in there. Like I recognize those things about me. And I recognize that character flaw and God is using that piece of it to help me grow in ways that I don't even understand, but it is super annoying. Because <laughs> there are times where I feel like I deserve things due to my pride and I am only focused on what my wife isn't doing for me and it gives me this thing well, like, oh, I guess I don't need to do those things for her. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Imagine if that's how Christ thought about us. Imagine if Christ thought, well, they're not, they're not even accepting me, so what's the point? That's, that's the point for us is that it does not matter the performance on the receiving side of our love, whether we give it and what measure we give it by. <clears throat> so what about this love? In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, I've heard this and used this at weddings that I've officiated. Um, this here is is absolutely, um, 
I probably say this about a lot of pieces of scripture that I share up here. This is one of my favorite parts. It could be about any verse, really. But this really is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And, uh, and pay attention to the how the language is used here. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrong, at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then the next verse, which won't be up here, but it says, love never ends. As we make our final breath on this earth and join the Lord in heaven, that love's still there. And that's never ending. It's this eternal thing. The reason that I wanted you to talk, or to, excuse me, to listen about the language that's used is if you notice, all of those things are verbs. All of those things are something that you do. Love is an action. It is something that we do for someone. It is serving someone. That's how you love someone. That's what God's word is saying. These are the things that, that uh, describe love. It is something that you do. How am I loving my wife today? This love here, this action piece is this sacrificial love. It's this self-denial. It's putting off your project to spend time with your wife, to talk with your wife, to do things for your wife, to cook for your wife. And this isn't exclusive. This this has 0% to do with uh, the exclusiveness of husbands in 1 Corinthians. This is for everyone. This is for all believers. This is others-focused, right? There's two two relationships that God calls us to, to have in our lives as Christians. And uh, <clears throat> they, they form, form a cross. The first is from you to God. And the second is from you to others. Right? That, that is what this love is saying. And, and I, and I got to tell you, I, I'm not good at these things a lot of times. I need to, I need to preach this to myself on a regular basis, on a regular basis. I am a, I'm a D personality and that's just really all that means and I don't even know exactly who came up with that but it's some sort of profile that I had to take for a leadership class through my work and all it means is I'm less focused on others and I'm more focused on tasks <laughs> and uh, it's very difficult for me to break from a task and to remember to love my wife. Um, so I know, I know that there are. Uh, this is a this is a very difficult thing because we're going to talk mostly about husbands, and I know that there are husbands and potential husbands, and and men men are here thinking, well, what about her? <laughs> I got to be right there. I can't be the only one. I know my wife was thinking this that I that I was thinking about this in this study because I'm I'm selfish in a lot of ways, and um and that's that's really uh, how God's working in each of our lives and we're called to be selfless. This self denial, the sacrificial love. So earlier, before uh, Ephesians five twenty five and Ephesians two, uh, excuse me, Ephesians five twenty. Two through 24, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So there are three main ideas here. Um, and what this is, this is obedience to the Word of God. right? Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, talks about our Christian life and how we conduct ourselves as Christians. If you haven't read Ephesians about 25 or 50 times, uh, you're probably not reading it enough. I haven't read it that many times either. So, At any rate, that is saying a lot. 
there is an instruction manual for how we're to be obedient and how we're to conduct ourselves. And the three main ideas are submission to the husband as obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. She should submit because the relationship of the husband and wife is a model of the union between Christ and the church. And if you don't know what the church is, that is us. That is Christian believers. It's all Christian believers. We are the church. Christ is our bridegroom and we are the bride. We are married to Christ with a portion of the spirit. And this is this oneness that Pastor Matt was talking about and Craig alluded to last last week. This oneness with Christ, with our wives. So this, this submission has conditions. And I'm talking to you men out here, you husbands, potential husbands. That's the point. We are to lead our families in a Christ-like way closely to the word of God. This is placing oneself under an authority. Like this sermon being under the authority of the word. By no means is this a license to treat our wives any way we would like. In fact, the word states that we are to submit to one another out of the fear of God. Well, I can't do these things. It's really hard. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> that's too bad. No one said it was going to be easy, right? But the, 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 it seems like the, the more difficult a challenge and the further that uh, we're pushed out of our comfort zone, the more we grow. And if we are being pushed out of that comfort zone by the word of God and uh, being cut to the heart and, and convicted of those things, as we grow as a result of the, God's word pushing us from that, we're growing in the love of Christ. We're growing, growing closer to God. We're, we're continuing on this journey of progressive sanctification. This progressive sanctification, it's just a fancy way of saying becoming more like Christ each and every day. It's that pursuit of perfection, knowing that we're never going to meet it. In Ephesians 18, it says, in part B, it says, be filled with the Spirit. That, that is really how we do all these things. When it's difficult, right, it's we should always go back to Ephesians 18b to say, be filled with the Spirit. That is how we know to conduct ourselves. That is the, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And as a, as a believer, what Christ's done is he's already sent us this helper. This helper lives in us, among us, guiding us, convicting us, revealing in his word what God will have us know at that time. And that's why you can read the same book out of the Bible multiple times and see something new each and every time because God is, is forming you into being more like him each time that you're in his word. And this isn't a step-by-step process. This isn't an instruction, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then this. Although there are ways that you can utilize that type of mindset to, to be filled with the Spirit and to grow closer to Jesus and, and become a better Christian each and every day, that isn't what it's about. It's about a relationship. It's about a, a personal relationship between you and Jesus Christ. There are rules in here, what God says, and by following those rules in the law is how we um, honor God and are obedient to him. Not because we have to, because Christ, Christ died for that. He fulfilled every letter of the law by his sacrifice. But it's because we want to, right? It's because we recognize how much we don't deserve this love and make some futile attempt about repayment, even though we don't have to. But I want to. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be obedient. Well, she's not meeting my needs, you might say. She's not doing the things a wife should do, whatever those are. And she's not earning my love. These things are misconstrued as reasons to give up your choice to love. And we must remember as husbands, we're leading our wives in a way that prepares them for the meeting of Jesus Christ. We must remember that each of our journeys of progress, progressive sanctification 
are different based upon our individualism. This transformation process is different for us all and different for your wife. And if she doesn't know how to be this wife you speak of, perhaps the requirement of being a spiritual leader in your household isn't being met. Perhaps she doesn't do the things that you want her to do because you're not first fulfilling your lead, your love first. You love first. That's that submission that has conditions. How is it that your wife becomes more like Christ each day and know how to be obedient to God if you aren't both learning that together with your lead? So let's look at a contrast between worldly views and and godly views. Love of the world is enmity with God. Basically, that means that we should be focused on the cross with blinders on here and discard all of the things that are of the world. Worldly headship says, I am your head. This is the husband's, right? I am your head, so you take orders from me, and you must do whatever I want. That's the part that we cast off. That's not what God, God's word says. Godly headship says, I am your head, so I must care for you and serve you. Worldly submission says, you must submit to me, so here are the things I want you to do for me. These words of leadership and submission aren't bad terms. Godly submission says, you must submit to me, so I am accountable before God for you. I must care for you and serve you. Both of those terms in a godly perspective are talking about serving someone through these acts of love. Paul goes on in Ephesians 26 that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Earlier in Ephesians 4, we read about a fivefold edification to the body of Christ through those <clears throat> that Christ himself has given gifts. In Ephesians 4:11 uh, through 13, and this won't be on the, I don't think this is on the screen, but it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5.26 is he's referring to the body of Christ or the church. Sanctification is the act or declaration of making something holy. Christ has done this for us as the body. He has sanctified us through his sacrifice. And the only thing that we need to do is believe that to be true and to believe that with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul, and all of our mind. The meeting together for corporate worship is for the edification and the building up of each other's faith. That's why we meet here is so we can help one another in our, our uh, journeys to become uh, closer to Jesus. If you're not involved, get involved. Get involved. There's a lot of things here that you can be involved that will strengthen your faith. You won't regret it. This edification starts in the home with husbands leading their families and starts with leading our wives first. It is with this truth that we recognize that our gift of edification given by Christ is leading our wives in the word of God to help maintain the spiritual health of our wives before the Lord. Next in Ephesians 5.27 
it goes on and, and says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What Paul here is stating is that us as the church or the body of Christ may share in his future without, without blemish. We as husbands also share in our future with our wives. After all, we are one. And that's, that's really what, again, in, in Ephesians 5.25, that's just as Christ give himself up for the church. It's this marriage principle. Husbands and wives, and we are the wives Wives of Jesus Christ, who is the we're, we're the the bride, and He's the bridegroom. We are one. We are one with Christ. We are one with our wives. Oneness. In Ephesians five twenty eight. Oh boy, this gets a little bit difficult here. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Again, we're together with Christ. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, this, this has been shared at a bunch of weddings, and I just love the, the, uh, the picture that's painted here about this oneness. And it says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, a three fold cord is not quickly broken. And I really love God's math here. This threefold cord is talking about you, Christ, and your wife. The math is one plus one plus one is one. <clears throat> it really seems though it's not being stated that your wife is like you or is your partner. It's saying that she is you. Your wife is you. Any way that you would treat yourself is how you should treat your wife. And if you're going to treat yourself that way and you're loving in a sacrificial, self-denial way, then you, instead of treating yourself first, you understand that way you were going to treat yourself and you're like, how does this show love to my wife first? And if all of those needs are being met, then you can move back to you. But if those needs aren't being met over here where you're practicing self-denial and you're loving her first each and every day all the time, then just stay here. There's nothing wrong with staying here. She's your other half. Without her, you are incomplete. It's, we, even, we even joke about it. Well, she's my better half. <laughs> yeah, certainly is. <laughs> By a long ways. <laughs> so I must nurture my better half before I nurture myself. My better half, the reason that I'm going to nurture my better half is again, I'm so filled with this pride and things to that nature um, that, that, that I need my wife to, to help direct me uh, in the way that I should live as a, as a leader of my household. And so I'm nurturing that and that's helping me along and that's reading the word of God with my wife, that's praying with my wife, that's doing the things for her that I, I know she can do for herself but that doesn't matter. That's a self-denial. It's, it's choosing her wants, needs, and desires before my own. And since my wants, needs, and desires are serving the Lord Jesus Christ and being obedient to God through my submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, well, then I'm, my needs are being fulfilled. If I'm loving my wife in a sacrificial way, and it fulfills all that I just said, then, then I'm getting also what I need. And therefore, I do not need anything else. 
That is being focused on the things that are eternal and discarding the things that are temporary, that are things of this world. Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ the church we must be putting back into our marriages. It isn't you go to to the church, you get married, and that the end, right? There, there's there's work. I, I know there's work in my marriage. Relationships are hard. Relationships are super hard. There's 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 no other way to say it. Relationships are hard. Relationships with with. Uh, my relationship with my Savior is at times very difficult because I know what God's telling me and I don't want to do those things because they get in the way of, of my pursuit of worldly tasks. And I've argued with God. I've lost every one of them so far. But uh, one of these days, I'm probably not going to win that either. <laughs> So we must be working on our, our marriages, nurturing, cherishing, and putting in the work. Um, <clears throat> so how, how are we doing that, right? Well, take your wife places. Take her somewhere. Well, we don't go anywhere. Well, you go to the grocery store. Dan was saying earlier that's in his wife's date, date night on the weekend. It's the grocery store. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Talk to your wife. Talk to her. There's this, uh, I don't know, seemed like when I was growing up, my, my mom did all the cooking and I, and I had this misconstrued idea that that's, that was her role, right? Uh, well, everyone can cook, okay? And if your wife ends up being the one in the, in the kitchen cooking, um, maybe you go and spend some time in the kitchen while she's cooking. And if you aren't helping, you can be talking to her. And if you're the one cooking, maybe you can invite her in there and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Uh, my wife and I have talked to each other on several occasions and talked about like, well, man, it's just this like series of uh, misunderstandings. Well, it's probably because we don't talk enough. So we don't know each other as well as we should. Touch your wife. You know, that's, that's beneficial for both. Tell your wife you love her often. Read your wife. Give time to your wife. And above all, read the word of God with your wife. Some have said, well, I, I can't do these things that you're talking about, Matt. I married the wrong woman. God wants, God wants to bless the marriage that you're in. Uh, and if you say that you married the wrong woman, well, I got news for you. She's the right one now. God hasn't made a certificate of divorce that he's wanted to. God hates divorce. In Malachi 2, we see this. Uh, he did not, he, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment in violence. That's some really strong language of, of God saying how much he despises divorce. That is not even an option. That is not an option. God has granted the provision for divorce due to the hardness of our hearts. Matthew 19, 8 says, he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Well, I'm not happy in my marriage. Well, it happens. God's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. Your marriage isn't designed to make you happy. It is designed to make you holy. So if you're focused on your happiness in your marriage... And there is happiness in marriage. Believe me, I'm happy in mine. 99% of the time. (laughs) 
But that 1%, right, is, is where I need to be focused on the holiness, right? How, how, if I'm not happy in my marriage, maybe it's because I'm focused on the wrong thing. In Ephesians 5.30, it says, because, why do we do this? Because we're members of his body. And uh, <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon says, says about this, he says, Paul here speaks of only true believers, men who are quickened by divine grace and made alive unto God. Of them, he says, not by the way of romance or poetical exaggeration, but as undisputed matter of fact. We are members of his body, of flesh and bones. There is a true union between Christ and his people and no fiction or dream of heated imagination. Sin separated us from God and in undoing what sin has done, Christ joins us to himself in a union more real than any other in the whole world. Isn't that beautiful? Charles Spurgeon was a preacher back in the 1800s, I think. <clears throat> can't quote dates, that's for my son. Um, <clears throat> we are one with Christ and one with our wives. Christ and his church are the focus of how we conduct ourselves in our marriage. Ephesians 5.31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so Paul here is re- referencing Genesis 2.24 that Craig, I think, last week spoke about. And he goes on to say the explanation. Ephesians 5.32 says this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What is a mystery? A mystery is something that was once hidden and is now revealed. Once that was hidden in the Old Testament and now is revealed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is one with us. He is the bridegroom. Excuse me. He is the bridegroom. And the church, us, are his bride. That's the mystery. We hold fast to this marriage as believers to Christ as our, as our husband while he has demonstrated his unconditional love and still continues to do for us today. All of this is available to each of us. It does not matter where you came from. It does not matter where you are. It does not matter where you think you may be going, that this love is available to us all. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day to ask him into your heart. I don't know who you are, Jesus. I don't know about this love, but I want to. I need this. Please reveal yourself to me. I am ready to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my strength, with all of all of my hope and in all of my mind. And that's all it takes. And God takes care of those details. If you seek me, you will find me. In closing, I'm sure most of you are waiting for that. I can get off the spot then too, so that's, that's kind of nice. Ephesians 5.33, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And basically, this is just a summation of everything that we've talked about. Be filled with the Spirit. That's how you conduct this love. That's how you love your wife. That is the whole point. And this spirit, well, I don't know what that is or what that feels like. God uses other people to speak to us audibly through his kingdom and his church, being involved, being here for corporate worship, talking to one another, reaching out to one another, loving our wives, serving the Lord in any way possible is how God's going to speak to you. His kingdom is living within us and that spirit that is amongst each of our us as believers, that is our helper. Christ himself said that I am going away because if I don't, then the helper cannot come. And he has sent the helper to guide us in each of our Christian lives. Read the word, the Spirit of God will take care of those details. If you don't know how to pray for someone, the Spirit of God will take care of those those details. 
There are many times that I've prayed for someone, prayed for my wife, and they're like, thank you for saying those words to me. And I'm like, I don't even have any idea what you're talking about because it's like I just go away and God takes over and none of those things can come to memory, even if I think about them long and hard because it's not me that talks, it's the Spirit of God. And I just think that's, that's amazing. That's available to us all. Well, I'm nervous about doing that. You know what? I'm sweating right now being up here. <laughs> That's not an excuse. <laughs> Pastor Matt talked about it. We are to proclaim the good news. We are to speak of the good news. We are to conduct ourselves in a way that is with the Spirit of God, being in the forefront of our actions. And uh, God man chooses his steps but God lights the way I think that's that's what it's I think that's what it's saying in one of his verses sorry I don't have that part written down <laughs> um, so here it is uh, be filled with the spirit be intentional act be a servant how am I serving my wife and that's a, that's a mirror thing, right? Don't forget that. If your wife isn't doing things that you think she should do, it's, it's a mirror. That should be a clear indication for you as husbands that you aren't first doing what you are called to do for your wife. And I promise that if you fulfill that part of it, then that mirror will reflect what you're looking for out of your wife automatically. That's how that's going to work. You first do those things and those other things are what's going to be reflected back to you. It is not conditional. It is not something that she's doing that she's earning your love. Pray with her. Pray with each other and be glad that God has given us his word to guide us when we don't know how to guide ourselves, that we are trusting in our own understanding. And be joyful.